Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante, along with Dustin Hawkinsmith. It is our first post-game show in nine A while. Oh, yeah, okay. a, Let's go a while. while. Let's put it that way. Not the first of 2023, but the first of the 2023 season. And man, what a, what a good way to start. It it really was. Although, you know, not everyone is all that happy about the performance. It's interesting, Dusty. Yeah. And I was ready to go with, you know, give you the old, is, do you have the glass half full or half empty? But before we do that, I want to read for you. Uh, you know we have an Ask T. Frank segment, an Ask Andy segment. And just prior to us recording, I got a, an Ask Andy question that I'd like to read for you. Sure. Tell you a little bit of the lay of the land, the temperature of the fan base, or at least All a right. portion of it. We won the game against West Virginia, but in my opinion, looked very unimpressive doing so. Our O-line was playing glaringly bad. We lack a true number one wide receiver. Our defense did not look like a top 10 defense and had trouble stopping the run. After seeing this team's performance against the mid-opponent, do you think that James Franklin and company will be able to make this team look like a legitimate top five team in the nation in time for our Ohio State matchup? And I think that question is fascinating, especially since apparently Ohio State didn't look so hot against Indiana either. So, Dusty, just let's start with the big picture, <laughs> the big takeaway. D- this was Dominic from uh, Montreal. I'm not picking on Dominic. I'm just saying, Dustin, yeah. are you in Dominic's camp or are you in the other camp? I'm probably in a different continent than Dominic's camp. <laughs> I, if, if I'm being totally honest about that. And I, and I see it. I get it. Uh, and I think that Penn State maybe has crossed into this threshold where really good isn't good enough. And that's a good place to be. You know, like I, I feel like there are many, many more positives than glaring negatives to take out of that game. I get it. Uh, I'm not ready to assume that West Virginia stinks for the rest of the season. You know, I, I think there are some interesting pieces there, including their quarterback and their, their running back. So, um, so, and that, and that impacts several areas of where Dominic was, was talking there. Uh, and I think, and, and I don't want to, you know, go blow by blow into, into a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about, but I think above all else, I'll just, I'll close with this above all, all else. If you leave any game whatsoever thinking, Hey, our quarterback doesn't blend in. He's a difference maker or he can be a difference maker. You exit any game with that feeling and you should be thinking positively about what you just saw, considering that I think the the crossover between Dominic and the demographic that was uh, kind of sick of Sean Clifford, you know, you can't have one without the other. Uh, so you you have impact quarterback play, I think now. That's my belief uh, as, as much as you can off of one game. But I think you have impact quarterback play now and the rest, you got a little time to clean it up when you have that. 
you do, and I'm I'm not sure which camp I'm in, <laughs> and, and and I don't want to say I'm in neither camp because I almost feel dusty like I'm in both camps, and depending on you know which way you want to argue, I'll probably argue the opposite. But let's let's start with the positive, which had to be Drew Aller, and you know, um, contra- I, I am going to be picking on Dominic here a lot. Aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sorry, Dominic. I really am. And by the way, we'll, I'm going to present your question to Andy later in the week. But um, I, there was also the comment about no number one receiver. I'd like to hit mm-hmm. you up on that right away. Did you see from that performance on Saturday, was there evidence there's not a number one receiver, Dusty? Uh, the evidence is conflicting at best for Dominic. Now I just mentioned him by name and in, in refuting what he what he said. It's getting worse and worse. Like you started out like, now nah, now nah, we're not going to pick on Dominic, but it's like everything comes back to him. But are you ready to conclude that Keandre Lambert Smith cannot be a number one? Uh, I'm less ready now to conclude that than I've ever been. You know, I I was a little bit of a, I don't want to say a naysayer, but I was I was a little skeptical of him being a number one. But he looked and made plays and carried himself like a number one. You know, why wouldn't he be a number one if he's developed, if, if what we saw against West Virginia, Virginia is what we see uh, for the most part going forward? I think, he, I think he absolutely can be. So to say that you don't have one is, is false, and I think, I think Trey Wallace played a really nice game too. Well, Dusty, I'm glad you brought up Trey Wallace because you know that's one of my man crushes going on. Sure, yeah. Could, could I throw a couple numbers at you? Just I would hate it if you didn't, Jim. Thank you. Trey Wallace, eight targets, seven catches, 72 yards. Not too shabby, my friend. I thought Trey Wallace did a nice job. He got himself open. He has a quarterback who could get him the ball. Keandre Lambersmith, I'm not taking anything away from what he did. He had obviously that the biggest play, the long touchdown. But I thought those two especially showed themselves very well. And I'll go in and say, hey, Malik McLean would yeah. get four catches, I believe. Yep. Not too shabby if that's your number three guy and a touchdown also. And um, I kind of like, uh, I was working to call him Sean Clifford. I like Liam Clifford <laughs> at tight end, or, I'm sorry, in the slot position. So I, I'm actually pretty good with the wide receivers in their performance, Dusty. Yeah, that's not high on my list of areas to nitpick after this game. Like there are areas obviously to to nitpick, but the performance of the wide receivers is not one of them. And you look at like Malik McClain and Liam Clifford, the the fact of the matter was that Drew Aller was six for six targeting them, you know, six for six. And then, you know, like you said, I think Malik McClain, the stat line looks like that of a, a good number three wide receiver. But man, was I pleasantly surprised by how he moves with that frame. He move he moves so much more athletically than Devin Carter did for West Virginia, even though West, he had a better stat line. He had more production in this game. I thought Malik McLean looked like the better wide receiver among the transfers. Cause Devin Carter was committed to Penn state briefly before he went to West Virginia. So I, I feel like over the course of the season, they got the better of the two, but man, he, he moves extremely well 
Uh, very nimble, very agile, very fluid in the way that he moves at six foot four or whatever he is. So that is a, he, he looked like a pretty dangerous guy to me. That didn't look like a fluke performance uh, in my eyes. I'm with you on that one. And I thought it was fun. You mentioned McLean and Clifford. Clifford uh, blocking, helping him score a touchdown. Yes. That, that was kind of ni- nice to see also. We're kind of jumping around here with our takeaways and big thoughts here, Dusty. And uh, we'll get to more specific plays and so on. But I want to talk about the end of the game. And a lot of uh, – in your notes, you talk about West Virginia fans having an issue with Penn State scoring late. Apparently, the coach did also. Neil Brown yeah. came out with the – he had a problem with them scoring late. He had a problem. There weren't enough penalties on Penn State. Um, here's And by the way, I was at the game, and I had a couple people reference Salty Jim. So here's my Salty Jim. So, Neil well, Brown, so- shut up and coach. You're on the hot seat. Okay? <laughs> this week on the Keystone Sports Network, Salty Jim tackles Salty Neil. Coming up. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I put that like I, I read through some some Twitter comments from the West Virginia side before I saw or heard Neil Brown talk about this. Um, in, in my opinion, those opportunities, especially when you're going against uh, largely a first team defense, uh, those opportunities for for your whole crew of reserves, they don't grow on trees. Uh, that's a two-minute situation that practice doesn't really get you the whole way there. And in the grand scheme of things, if you ruffle the fan, the, the West Virginia fan base who doesn't see that or doesn't understand or doesn't know Penn State's roster well enough to conclude what they were doing and just immediately jumps on. And I feel like there would be a pretty good faction of Penn State fans in the same boat if the shoe was on the other foot. I get it. Like, I, I understand that. Like, so, um, but I, I just, I, I didn't think anything of it at all until I saw that it was addressed by Neil Brown and, and being talked about by West Virginia. Like th- this is Bo Perbola's chance to play against the division one defense. That's not his own. That's not at practice where the numbers count and all that. Yeah. I, I think you use every play you can get in that situation. Well, the other part to it, Dusty is let's, let's take a look at this. He was leaving his starting team in against Penn state's backups. He, gave, he had an onside kick. He was calling timeouts to get the ball back. Yeah. And never mind, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who was betting Penn State to cover. As I got a couple notes, I talked to someone uh, at our tailgate who informed me it was really <laughs> important for, for him, for yeah. Penn State to cover. Which he, feed, which he, feeds, like, you, you got a whole, between West Virginia's fans and and people who play, who played the under or played West Virginia in the points, you're, you have a lot of butthurt people across the country over this. And that you're not going to really see through that into the objectivity of the situation, I would say. Exactly. And going back to actually the game itself and what it means, style points matter. You wish they didn't. You wish it's just a win, but it matters. It matters in where you're ranked, and that could later on come back to bite you in, in making the playoffs or what bowl game you get, and all of those, how the outside world perceives you. So I have, I have zero problem with it. And it was a bit of a wash when you consider dusty that they scored a late touchdown 
against Penn State's backups also. Yeah, and and I don't mind that. I mean, it's 31-15, right? Is that it was 31-15 yes. and they're they're down by two scores. I don't hate the onside kick. And it it was a good onside kick to you. I imagine how different it would feel if they recover that near midfield and they're down two scores, let alone if they score there. And by the way, I just wanted to I wanted to point this out because I felt like Tyler Warren made a great play on that onside kick to jump up and, and knock it out of bounds. And you know, I, I feel like Penn State was going to win comfortably either way, but that was an opportunity for West Virginia to make Penn State feel uncomfortable, and they didn't quite get it. It's it's a real good point, and it was a very nice play by Tyler Warren, a smart play. But you know what, Neil Brown, bottom line, shut up, coach better, win more games, and you'll keep your job. That's it for quarter number one, Dusty. We got lots more to talk about. Stay salty, my friend. Hey, Penn State fans, here is your chance to take something off your bucket list. That's right, Go PSU RV is offering a full range of RV setups ready for a weekend of great tailgating at their Lion's Den, which is the closest single-game RV overnight lot to Beaver Stadium. You can arrive anytime Friday afternoon. Stay until Sunday morning, avoiding all that traffic. Don't miss this unique opportunity. Go online to gopsurv.com and reserve your RV today. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new Coffee Barbecue Dry Rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante. He is Dustin Hawkinsmith. Dusty, we are talking all things Penn State, West Virginia. Before we get into some of the specific plays, just one more thing in the overview we have to talk about. We've avoided it all summer, and that's the kicking game. Oh, my goodness. And and I think a lot of the perception might have been different if those kicks, field goal kicks, were made, were converted. So instead of it being 14-7, it's 20-7 at halftime, and... Penn State's getting the second half kickoff. I think everyone would have felt a lot better. But now that it happened, how how uncomfortable are you with that kicking situation? Well, I I think the the move had to be made in game to to pull Sanders Hayadak uh and go with Alex Falcons and it, it worked out. They didn't have a lot of, you know, difficult 
tries from that point forward, but he took care of business and, and now you get a chance to reset. And I, I think probably James Franklin would hope that you don't have to go back and reevaluate your kicker situation after week one, but that's going to, that's going to require some time and energy at practice this week. And they're going to have to go back to the, the drawing board and figure out, okay, I don't know what the difference was, you know, stats wise over the summer and in training camp between Sahadak and Falcon. Uh, but if let's say Sanders Sahadak for a second was much better in training camp, how do you weigh that against now being 0 for 2 on kicks in the in the season opener in front of a hostile crowd? Not hostile, but allowed a, a rowdy environment. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like on looks alone, I didn't hate either kick. Uh, Sahadak, I, I, and I don't know really what the conditions were exactly, but it looked pretty calm to me. Um, he just, he just, he missed by it by a shade and, and the, the way he kicks his ball, looks looks like he kind of has a natural draw on it. He just didn't start it out wide enough from the, I think from the same hash mark both times too. Right. So maybe, no, maybe the, they're different. The, the second one was right down the middle. And I remember okay, that because I specifically was looking at that and thinking, you know what? I think that's going to be helpful for him that it's right down the middle you know, just think, hey, this is just like an extra point. Just kick it straight and you're good. Yeah. And he did. Yeah. And he didn't. Um, uh, full disclosure, I was watching this game under some chaotic conditions and I had to walk away for about 15 minutes at one point, baby related. So I, I kind of, <laughs> this was part of the, that hash mark was part of a, a sequence of about six minutes of game time where I had to go back and watch and try to hustle and catch up to the live. Anyway. Um, so yeah, I, I, I feel like my, it's my inclination that you'll see Sahadak back out there in a low, in a lower pressure environment in week two. I feel like he he's the better guy. Like on looks alone, he looked like he was a better kicker than Falcon. He didn't get the same results, but so that's but that all that's all part of this picture of like okay, you know there were certain areas where Penn State was a bit of a mess, and I think because you have Drew Aller uh, and because you have you know good weapons, you beat a Power Five team thirty eight fifteen when you were a mess, right? So like uh, to me, that's a positive in it, in itself. It was, and I'm glad you used the expression, he has a natural draw, because I was talking to someone about it, and I was using the golfing analogy, yeah. where there's something, you know, a mishit is worse than striking the ball well, but missing, you know? And, and he struck it well, I, didn't he? Yeah. My feeling well. was, both of the kicks, he struck the ball well, he just missed. And it's funny, you know, game of inches. Well, 12 inches to the left, it just sneaks inside the upright, and no one even thinks twice about it. It will be interesting to see how, how James Franklin handles it. And you were talking about how was it in training camp. Uh, Franklin made a point to say it was a very close competition, yeah. and it was because it was so close that he didn't mind making the change in the second half, but he says it'll still be a competition this week. It'll be interesting how many opportunities they get against Delaware to kick field goals, and would he throw both of them out there at different points? Let's um, let's take a look more at some of the specific plays that happened, Dusty, and I think that's the way to attack this for this yeah. kind of game. And you got to start with the first possession for Penn State with Drew Aller. It was the fourth play in, the long throw, couple things you got to be impressed with the throw itself. This is what we talked about where we feel 
he has the advantage over Sean Clifford. He throws a better deep ball, but perhaps the more impressive part of the play was he showed mobility and athleticism, which some of us have been saying all along he has, but he showed that, kept his eyes up to make the play. Real impressive. Um, Yeah, and I I think um, the play looks so easy that I think there are some people who don't fully appreciate the difficulty level of that and and the amount of talent it took for him to make that throw the way that he made that throw. So, and the fact that Keandre Lambert Smith just trotted in from 25 yards with nobody around, like kind of reinforced, like, Oh, that was an easy pitch and catch, but you know, the, the ability, and we saw with that climb the ladder to Amari Evans last year, um, the ability to do that. Like, I think a lot of times when the play is breaking down like that, if there's, he's got a full head of steam, if you're capable of, of delivering a ball like that, you're going to find a lot of success. Uh, and if, if for some reason they, they view you as, as that threat uh, and, and teams see that on film and say, okay, what, what, what do we do when we kind of force him up in the pocket? Uh, he's shown that he's such a threat with, with this, with the throw. Do you, do you defend that differently? And at that point, I think you're really going to have, and he moves well enough to turn that into yardage if, if they don't close on him like that. So uh, I, I just felt like it was a really difficult throw. Uh, and really athletic and kind of highlighted, you know, what Drew Aller does so well. And I was impressed by by more balls than not that he threw. I want to bring up another play, Dusty, and this was the first drive of the second half. I don't know if you could see this on TV, but at the game we could see a third down play, like a slant to Keandre Lambert-Smith. They were close to connecting. Do you remember the play I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah, And I don't know if you were able to see, it was zero coverage. There were no safeties, okay? You connect on that cleanly, he's probably gone for another 70-yard touchdown. And I'm still trying to decide. I've watched three replays of it at least. I'm still trying to decide if that was a good throw under pressure that Lambert Smith should have at least made the catch or if the throw was a little low and behind them. Yeah, I... um. I feel like I feel like he just he just missed it, you know. And 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 the thing is, any quarterback is not going to be one hundred percent on on identifying and executing uh, and things like that. Like no no veteran quarterback is. So why would Drew Aller be? And it's like he was still he was twenty one out of twenty nine with a few drops in there for three twenty five and three scores. Like I I know I know he missed that, but. I don't really, I mean, I don't really, I don't really care. I guess it's, it's like, it's 38, 15 and, and, and they win and, and, uh, and he looks pretty good doing it. So I don't know. I, you know, it is, I think it also showed on this night that, um, going back to Dominic again, you know, we wanted to see domination here by Penn state. And I was one of those predicting that it would be a dominant performance. Here we are saying it wasn't a dominant performance when they covered the spread one by 23. And, but I think they were so close to it being more. And you know what? I'm, I'm going to stop throwing Dominic under the butt. Go ahead. Dusty. My, uh, my thought on that, um, is, uh, they, they just, uh, they finishing was, the biggest thing in this game, finishing drives and knowing who you are and knowing what you want to do in those situations. When you get into like, say the red zone, 
Like I, I would venture to guess that finishing in general uh, is one of the coaching staff's biggest things this week is, is how do you call plays, execute plays? What do we believe in? What are we trying to do uh, whenever the field gets tight? And that's just something I think that, that's going to come with time. But to me, that's, that's one of the biggest critical takeaways is being able to finish drives um, efficiently. Yes. Yes. And you wanted to get a couple field goals at least out of those drives and you didn't even get that. And I want to ask you about this comment. I'm done throwing Dominic under the bus. I'm going to throw our colleague Andy under the bus instead. Oh, okay. Yeah. Andy I love driving I, this bus, by the way. I love driving it. <laughs> <laughs> Andy and I text messages back and forth constantly during a game. And at halftime, I, you know, I thought early on that this game could get out of hand pretty quickly. And it never did. And Andy was scolding me for predicting that. And it's a one-score game at halftime. But I, I took a look at the halftime stats. The running game, which looked like West Virginia was running well against Penn State. West Virginia did not have one runner averaging four yards a carry at halftime. Right. Both... Katron Allen and Nick Singleton were averaging over five yards a carry. I thought, and and we know what um, Drew Aller, I think, had already thrown for over 200 yards. I'm saying statistically it's pretty lopsided. When I pointed out that running statistic, the rushing average of over five yards each guy, no one on West Virginia over four yards, Andy's response was, that's not relevant. Those are just numbers. Yeah, so... You might be able to say that at halftime of a game, you know, like, like if you're predicting that, that all the, all the chiseling you've done in the first half is going to lead to, you know, cracks in the foundation in the second half. Okay. I'll, I'll listen to that. Uh, but at some point the numbers to uh, maybe this is close to Denny green, but the numbers, they, they are who you are at a certain point. And I think by the end of a game, it's a small sample, but I think by the end of a game, you are kind of a summary of your numbers. Like, I think they tell the story of how and where things went wrong if you lost. And to me, I'm sure we'll get into defense more then, but to me, it was like, you know, West Virginia is not a bad running team, especially when you throw the quarterback in there. And and Donaldson is a, is a good runner. They had to work extremely hard to find success on the ground. And it's exactly what you wanted. No, no, no explosive plays at all. If they, if they can go 14 plays and score on you, you just kind of have to tip your cap to them. Uh, you want to get off the field better and you want to uh, do some things better defensively and generate more pressure. But West Virginia was a bad matchup for the real strength of this defense. And uh, I still feel like they played pretty well, but expectations were ridiculously high for them in week one. I think that is it. And let's get to the defense in quarter three and go over it. Because I think that bar has been set so high for them that anything less than domination seems like they underperformed. And outside the touchdown against that second team, you know, seven points. That was a pretty good, uh, pretty good showing. We'll talk about it more in quarter number three.
Hey, Penn State fans, here is your chance to take something off your bucket list. That's right, Go PSU RV is offering a full range of RV setups ready for a weekend of great tailgating at their Lion's Den, which is the closest single-game RV overnight lot to Beaver Stadium. You can arrive anytime Friday afternoon. Stay until Sunday morning, avoiding all that traffic. Don't miss this unique opportunity. Go online to gopsurv.com and reserve your RV today. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new Coffee Barbecue Dry Rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante. He is Dustin Hawkinsmith. It's quarter number three of our show. We spent a lot of time in quarter one and two talking Drew Aller and some of our other takeaways from the game. Let's take a look at each unit specifically dusty let's get to the defense which we haven't really looked at as i was saying at the end of quarter two we didn't feel the domination on the defensive side like it felt like we were seeing you know we were seeing splash plays and we weren't really seeing those and here are the two concerns that i had coming out of it was the no splash plays was i think that quarterback was very elusive he When he got in trouble, he escaped, and that prevent the sacks that we expect to see. And the second thing was, should I be concerned that when West Virginia wanted to get a couple yards, they can get a couple yards no matter what, right down the middle, ram it down Penn State, the middle of the Penn State's defensive line? And And that's a tricky thing. Like, I think all in all, the run defense was fine. But I think that that dynamic of having zero confidence that on a third and two, you're going to get a stop, uh, that, that's a tricky thing. Like in, in the end, the numbers can look great uh, because West Virginia is not a great team. But I, I, I have seen the sentiment that if this were Michigan or even like an Illinois or so, and it's, it's, the, it's the two teams really we've been talking about from the jump about, about that. Like I'm, I'm not less concerned about the, that facet of Penn state's defense now than I was before the game. I'll certainly say that. Um, so yeah, I mean, and part of it also is that, you know, that the strength of the defense is on the edges. Uh, teams are going to game plan around trying to take that out of the game as, as best they can. So what do you have left? You had in this game, a really experienced West Virginia offensive line, especially in the interior there with their center Frazier. 
just doing what they should be doing, I think, with that group of defensive tackles. So that's that is uh, it, it's definitely something to keep watching going forward. Uh, I think that these defensive tackles can make plays, but you you see the commitment early on, and who else is going to try to mimic this? Of again, just trying to push them around on the inside. Like I know, like I I I think that my concerns about size, maybe I they were overblown before, but I don't know if you can really argue that there's progress that has to be made uh, inside in order for this defense to be as good as it can be. I agree with that assessment, and. I said, are we, this quarterback, he made a lot of plays with his feet where the play collapses, Penn State looks like they're prepared to get some pressure on him, and he escapes. Let me let me well, put it this way. The thing that Garrett Green does best as a quarterback is run for his life. That's what he does he best. Did. You know, and, and he did it all game long, and I, t- I, I leave the game more kind of concluding like, tip your hat to him. You know, he, he, he was not a very dynamic passer. He was not accurate beyond, I, I would say maybe like 15 yards. He wasn't accurate d- down the field at all. So there didn't have to be a lot of respect there, but when, when he was faced with trying to break free, you know, he, he could scoot a little bit. And, and that was probably the single biggest problem that Penn state's defense had was drives being extended with him making some kind of play like that. So do you look at this and make, Penn State fans feel better by saying, look, this was just the style of play there. That's what he he was going to be good enough maybe to extend some drives because of his escapability. And I use the term, I thought he was really slippery. But he doesn't have, this guy, he's not going to throw the ball well enough to really hurt you. So you're going to give up some first downs, but that's where it's going to end. Yeah, West Virginia is going to win games by having that run game of theirs humming, not churning the way that they did against Penn State and working and working and working. I think they're going to rely on chunk plays in the on the ground more than anything else to try to win games. And Penn State didn't give up chunk plays, so that 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 kind of were you ever really feeling like as a Penn State fan? Were you ever really feeling like, boy, this team's a threat for six? You know, even like it was a one touchdown game and mathematically, obviously it's right there, but I don't think there was a lot of fear because there was such limitation there with, with West Virginia. I think that's well put. Yeah. I was never at the game concerned that this would be a loss or something freaky would have to happen for that. The other part to this whole equation though, Dusty is again, we get, we're so used to seeing outstanding plays from the defense. I thought Curtis Jacobs played really well. Seeing the stat sheet, he had 10 total tackles. Nobody else had more than five. Um, Abdul Carter had his one sack. That's his, that was his total of the stat sheet yeah. was that yeah. one play. We are not used to that. We didn't see Chop Robinson be a you know big disruptor of the game. So is that... Um, are you concerned at all about that? Or is this just a case of, you know what, that this is the style of West Virginia. That's what you're going to get. And Hey, look at the results. They didn't score a lot of points. Yeah. I mean, it, it just so happens that, um, you know, doing that dance between adjusting your playbook to capitalize on the opponent's strengths versus weaknesses and staying true to yourself. You're always kind of doing that. I think as, as coaches, 
West Virginia didn't have to do a lot of that to kind of be within avoidance mode of Penn State's biggest strengths defensively. And that's the ability to create big plays and, and things like that. Like everything West Virginia was doing was kind of designed to, to avoid risk of a big Penn State play, you know, and that's what, that's what they, they knew. That's the one thing that they couldn't afford. They would take their chances anywhere else. Uh, my other uh, conclusion, you know, based on, on where you're going with Curtis Jacobs is that I feel like Curtis Jacobs, uh, I'm speaking for him, but I feel like he's probably a little pissed about, the entire off season. And not that he's mad at Abdul Carter or, or bitter or jealous or anything. I'm not implying that, but I think anytime that you're the veteran guy who's done it for three years and, and you've been playing at a high level and you yourself are an NFL draft prospect, you know, a pretty good one. Uh, I think he probably got tired of, of the entire wave of Abdul Carter love without mentioning him a whole lot. And I think in the end, like I'm confident Abdul Carter is going to make plays more consistently than he did in this game. And that's something that he's got to address and he's got to, you know, realize that he's got to work to back up what he did last year. Like maybe that's a realization here, but I think it's, it's nothing but a good thing for Penn state's defense. If Curtis Jacobs is going to play with that kind of chip on his shoulder and he came back for this too. And he's the guy who makes the plays. I, I think this is the kind of game where a Curtis Jacobs will stand out be, by doing everything right, making yeah. every play. And again, he's not making any of the splash plays, but he's he's making plays, and that was necessary in this game. I feel like I'm giving the defense a little bit of short shrift here, but there just was not a lot of stuff. They didn't force any turnovers. There were just there were, I guess, three sacks and even they, you know, two of them were for like, well, for a one yard loss. It was Abdul Carter did have the one 11 yard loss sack, but you didn't see that constant pressure forcing a turnover, forcing the bad pass and the interception. So, you know, you, you didn't have that. I did want to ask you before we get back to the offense, I wanted to take these couple minutes, ask you about something else. If, if you thought about it at all, the new rules within college football now where the clock is running after first down, except for the last two minutes of the half and the end of the game. Did you feel that at all? Did, were you conscious of that at all during the game? I I didn't think about it at all. Uh, it, to me, it, it, it didn't change the viewing experience at, at all for me. And, and part of it, like, I don't think there was a lot of like, we got to beat the clock type situations in this game. Is that, is that a fair thing to say about, about the game? There just wasn't a lot of like, hold your breath. It's urgent type situations. Um, so I don't, I don't think the, this, the, the flow of this game really lent itself to, you know, really feeling that that's my, that's my thought. I didn't either, but I did want to check on it. Cause I was conscious of it during the off season that this rule was in place. And I don't think many people talked about it. And this thought was we would lose, you know, X number of plays and, my thought on that was, you know what, you're doing this so it fits your your TV block. No matter how much you say it's about the health of the players, it's not. Yeah. It was, and if they wanted it to fit the block, instead of starting the game at seven thirty eight, started at seven thirty. I just saved you eight minutes. Okay. Yeah. That that's the kind of things they do. But it did cause me to look it up. Penn State had sixty five plays from scrimmage. And West Virginia had 67. What do you think the average was for Penn State's offense last year 
and their opponent last year? Uh, I wouldn't say it was far from that. So my question, I guess, is, is this significant or not? They The average was 70 plays apiece okay. last year. So Penn State had 65 plays instead of 70 in this game. West Virginia, 67 instead of 70. Is that a significant number? Well, I, th- I think over the course of 12 games, if that trend continues and, and you, you save, uh, what was it, nine was it nine plays? It was a 60? Eight. Okay, you save eight plays per per game. I mean, I guess it's significant. I do think, you know, the the bigger thing is uh, a little extra ad revenue that that can be sold because I don't think the games are going to be any shorter. Also, when you start at 738 versus 730, I have to imagine the eight minutes of of ads that go with their their short little pregame is very, very valuable. So if they could, if, if TV could have it any, any way, I think they'd say like, let's list the game at seven 30. Let's start it at seven 46. And then, then we have 16 minutes of that premium. Everybody's hanging around waiting. Cause they don't want to miss the start advertising time. Yeah. That's, that's what it's always about. That's just, again, another little salty gym thing. I don't like the reason why they're doing it. I don't like them lying to us and tell us it's all about the player's health. You know, it's just not entirely false. Because, you know, it, it does it, eight plays of wear and tear in in every individual game that adds up to a lot over the grand over the course of the entire NCAA landscape that adds up to a lot of plays. And you can sell that and spin that. And oh, by the way, TV is going to make a little, little more money out of it. It's a win win. Right. And let's expand the playoffs, play even more games, Dusty. Yeah. So there, there's our uh, health and safety issues. Speaking yes. of health, real quick, there were a few players. Kazai Izzard, does, did that make a difference, Dusty? Not being I, think, in there? I think so. I mean, they, they're not really in a position where they can lose capable bodies at that spot, and they lost one. Exactly. I thought also Daquan Hardy, he's a starter as that slot defender and him not being there that that's an issue also all right dusty that is it for quarter three stay tuned we've got lots more in quarter four hey penn state fans here is your chance to take something off your bucket list that's right go psu rv is offering a full range of rv setups ready for a weekend of great tailgating at their lion's den which is the closest single-game RV overnight lot to Beaver Stadium. You can arrive anytime Friday afternoon. Stay until Sunday morning, avoiding all that traffic. Don't miss this unique opportunity. Go online to gopsurv.com and reserve your RV today. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. 
TrustStateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. We headed to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter four. I am Jim. He's Dusty at home with a bunch of hangry women waiting for him to go make them dinner. You're so, jealous, aren't you? I I am Dusty. You you No, not at this point. You've yeah. got an infant and a couple other hungry women coming home. You've got too much responsibility. So Yeah. No. And listen, in, in my day-to-day life, the odds that I'm gonna have at least one hangry woman at any given point in a day, it's pretty high. Let's just put it this way, Dusty. If I moved in with you, you would have a couple hangry women and a very hangry man. So I'm I'm with your ladies on this one. Let's move on. Let's get back to Penn State, <laughs> West Virginia. And Dusty I disagree. Get... I think we stay right where we are on, on hanger and things like that. <laughs> let's get back to football. Uh, I want to talk some more about Drew Aller because he is the story. And it's not just a Penn State story. This is a national story. And being there and watching every play of the game, Dusty, and it was funny when I was talking about the one play to um, Lambert Smith over the middle that could have turned into a really big play. It probably was not a perfect throw, but it might have been a catchable throw. When you start to look at the handful of incompletions, you begin to realize just how good he was because out, he was 21 for 29. And out of that, those eight misses, I'm thinking maybe there was one, two passes that I said, e not good. Some of the others, like he threw the ball away a couple times, avoiding the sack, things like that. There were a couple of balls that you could call drops, you know, uh, Dante Cephas near the end zone. I don't think anything wrong with that pass. I um, mean, that same series, there was a pass that I thought was dropped. When you come down to it, like I said, out of 29 passes, well, how many bad ones were there? Two? I think he was as impressive as his numbers. Uh, well, okay, so let's let's give him two bad throws. I know there was the one ball that should have been intercepted. There was another one that was kind of similar to that. So let's go let's go to there. How many great passes do you think you saw? Um cuz I think it was exponentially more. Let's say let's say let's say 7 of those. But he also made all the right passes. He went to right. the right guy who was yeah. open. But then there were still some of the, like the long pass to Lambert Smith. I mean, he, he put right there, Dusty, after being flushed from the pocket. Even one of the incompletions that Tyler Warren along the sideline, exceptional pass. They just didn't quite connect on it. Uh, to Trey Wallace along the sidelines, put it right where he needed to be on time. Exceptional pass. And he, even the, uh, touchdown pass to Lambert Smith that looked, oh, he was wide open. But from the camera angle and even watching it live, I'm like, Are, is he going to drop that in the bucket, get it to him before he's out of the end zone? 
that was a really well-thrown ball, Dusty. And I think uh, Todd Blackledge brought it up. He wasn't just throwing fastballs. He was dropping it in, making really good decisions. I thought it was an exceptional performance, and he deserves all the uh, national accolades he's getting. He he absolutely does. Um, I, I, to me, like I don't think it's overstating it to say that Penn State has its answer at, at quarterback. Like it, it, they just do. Um, and I think it was just more reinforcement there. And I think in general, West Virginia, their, their strategy as it probably should have been was to make him decide quick, whatever, whatever he's going to do, whatever read he's got. They, I think they just wanted to make him decide fast, you know, first, first time starter, you know, uh, with a lot of expectation, let, let's see your medal from a mental standpoint. Um, and he passed that particular test with flying colors. He made the, you know, the, the throws that very few people in the world can make, you know, I, th- I, th- I feel like the, the, the first touchdown to Keandre Lambert Smith was in that category, even though, like I said, it looked like it was easy. Um, and then, you know, to, to me, like, if you want to get a side by side, like I'm going to take a long walk for a short drink of water on this one, I, I guess, but uh, I studied baseball scouting religiously for about two or three years. I traveled with this gal and I, I was with him at this showcase and I was really asking him, you know, from an eagle eye view, how do you see and feel arm strength from one player to another? Um, and I think, you know, one of his things that he said was when the ball is caught, how far does it look like it can keep going basically? And Drew Aller was throwing a ball to the sideline, not only right on time, right exactly where it needed to be. Not not catchable, right exactly where it needed to be, but a ball that, and I think I'm talking about the one to Wallace that you mentioned. That ball looked like it could have gone through the wall of, of the stands at, instead of being caught. Like if it, if it kept going, it was going to go through. And, and it wasn't, he didn't have to put everything he had into it. That's another sign, I think. Just the, the ease that he creates velocity on his ball not to mention you know you you think about a, a guy who's as big as he is six what depends he listen at six five right six five yeah. um six foot five you expect him to be erratic you expect the the usually the longer you are the the harder it is to be accurate and so many big strong shotgun armed quarterbacks have proven that true that true a couple former five stars at Penn State that I, I won't mention by name Drew Aller is not that He's not that. Uh, he's not a a you know put everything he has. He he's a rocket thrower and that's it. He is a a quarterback, uh, not just with his arm. He is a quarterback in all these different types of ways. And you know, I felt like he made everything. And it, it was almost like every single throw was like, "That's a good ball. That's a good ball. That's a good ball." He he threw quality ball after quality ball after quality ball. In addition to some of the things that he can do that nobody else can. It reminded me a little bit, Dusty, of there's a video uh, I watched online somewhere of uh, Tom Brady in his first Super Bowl when the Patriots got the ball back and had to go the length of the field. And John Madden was announcing that's how long ago it was. And he was, they should just play for overtime, not even try to score at this point. It was too dangerous. And Brady just marched him right down the field, and they kicked a field goal. And there was not one play where you saw a pass from Brady and said, oh, wow, that was so difficult. He threaded the needle. 
He just made every right decision and threw yeah. it to the right guy. And that was kind of the feeling I had with Drew Aller. He went to the right place, threw it to the right guy, and made it look easy. And that's the important thing. How phenomenal, and, and, and maybe it's not getting as much credit as, as it should, but how phenomenal is it that you know you came away impressed by that? And I agree with that. Uh, and I think maybe I land more on the side of the wow plays, the plays that nobody else can make. The Keandre Lambert Smith flick of the wrist, 40 yard dagger that, that he threw, um, you know, and you can, if you have both of those things, you know, like how far can you go? And I don't know that you can really define the ceiling. And I mean that for, for Drew Aller, both in terms of like what he can do this season. And a lot of that's going to really call, call his poise into question and, 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 and moments. And he's going to have to make big plays in big situations. We can't really know for sure, his capability then uh, until he's actually in those moments. And that that's what, but also like in terms of his ceiling as a quarterback is ridiculously high because he's very, very, very good in both of those ways. And that's why it's so impressive. And you could have justifiably expected in his first start for there to be jitters, be a couple misfires an interception or two. And it's really, I will even just say that one pass into the end zone, he missed his spot, okay? There was a place he could have put the ball, given his receiver the only chance to catch it. Even the other ball that was deflected and almost intercepted at the game, I thought it was someone covering that receiver. Instead, it was someone further up deflected it. Yeah. One could argue it was actually a good, accurate pass that someone batted away. Yeah. So... I'm, you know, searching for plays where I said, boy, that was the mistake. So I even there were plays where he was blitzed or he was threatened and there was a guy hanging on him, but because he was so big, he didn't go down quickly and easy or easily. Instead, he threw the ball away yeah. and saved the team eight to 10 yards. Yeah, I think West Virginia had some success in, in getting what they wanted, which is getting in his face. You know, get, getting your body on him some, making him throw it away. You know, they had st- a good hearty stretch of this game where they were successful doing that, but it, it just it just didn't phase him. And I think one of the things, and it goes into what you were saying earlier too, just being in command and cool and, and making all the throws and making all the reads and just, uh, it looked like Penn State was giving him good solid leash to audible and and to make changes as he saw fit. And there were at least two or three times where he's making a late change with the the play clock nearing 10 seconds or inside of 10 seconds. And he was pretty unflappable in getting to the right spot and didn't panic, even though you're seeing that four, three, two. Um, so I think stuff like that are why it just lends confidence that, that he can continue to get better. And I have all the faith, just the way that he's worked, you know, if you look at like what his his uh, high school and current you know off season trainer, uh, what he posts about Drew and and the amount of work that he's gone through the process of getting better as a quarterback with a machine like purpose. And so we look at the the things that went wrong. I just have a lot of confidence that that particular read or that particular error that he made in, in judgment, he's not going to repeat those. Like I get, I have confidence in, in that part of him too, because I think he's really shown that again, 
in as, as few reps as he's played. I think he's shown that. He throws 30 balls, and we're complaining about one of them, Dusty. It's a good day. Yes, that's a very good day. Last quick question. Tight ends were targeted three times with one uh, reception. Any thoughts on that? I just think that's something they have to go back and and make sure that as they're adjusting in-game, that they adjust with that in mind. Uh, and that they that they give those guys more roles. And it might have been more game plan specific, but I, I really feel like the tight ends are going to get more and more involved um, as the season goes on. I think that was true last year, too. I am not concerned about it one bit. If he were 11 for 29, I would say, why aren't you going to your tight ends? Yeah. If he was 0 for 8 throwing to the tight ends, I'd say maybe there's a problem there. Again, I'll just go back to the decision-making when a guy essentially hitting on 75% of his passes, I'm not concerned about his decision-making and who he's choosing to throw the ball to. All right, Dusty, that is it for our show. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Hey, Penn State fans, here is your chance to take something off your bucket list. That's right, Go PSU RV is offering a full range of RV setups ready for a weekend of great tailgating at their Lion's Den which is the closest single-game RV overnight lot to Beaver Stadium. You can arrive anytime Friday afternoon. Stay until Sunday morning, avoiding all that traffic. Don't miss this unique opportunity. Go online to gopsurv.com and reserve your RV today. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love.